Amen. Well, praise the Lord. You've almost got two psalms there to read. We'll, we'll, we'll check that other one out later on, maybe, 68. So, uh, what causes a feeling of discontentment or dissatisfaction in your life? What are the things that really cause you to be dissatisfied with your life or discontent? You know, it could be uh, relationships with people that are strained or struggling. It can be a job that is really difficult to wake up to every morning, drag yourself out of bed and go to that same place of work and you know it's going to be tough. Or it could be an impending financial crisis that just seems to be looming over your head. You don't know what's going to happen next. It could be very, very serious. And it's just causing discontentment in your soul. It could be a relationship that seems distant or weak or uh, just causing you a lot of confusion. Why? What happened to this relationship? You know, it could be all of the above. It could be uh, also just physical illness that you just feel terrible uh, physically. You know, uh, sometimes it can be all these things happening at one time, and that's, that's really tough. But that's happened uh, to many people. I think it's happened in my life. So what would it take to really make that change? And, you know, we could think about a lot of things that could make that change. Let's say if we got the perfect job that we were wanting. And finally, we got this job. We wanted this job. We were thinking about this job. It has the right salary, all the financial benefits that we need. But do you think that would be long-lasting satisfaction? You think it would. But we know. We know that there is no real job security in this world anymore. So we know that sometimes even when we get the perfect job or we think we have the better job, a lot of something happens to that job, right? And, and things start to fall apart. Uh, some people say, you know, I'm not going to work for anybody anymore. I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I'm going to own my own business. And so they open up a new business. And at first it's pretty exciting, but after a while, the business begins to own you. And then it's not as cool to have this business as actually taking up more and more and more of your time. Or as a young person, you're thinking, what would really make satisfaction be? I would just be so content if I could get into this school, this school of my choice, and then into the graduate school that I wanted to. And then even if God would lead me, I could get uh, even a doctorate and go into the field that I want to go into and have that career that I want. And you would think that would bring satisfaction, but you know, I'll tell you, I know people. They went to the very best school that they wanted. They got the degree that they wanted. They even got a job and a career and they found out, man, I really don't like, I don't like being an engineer. I don't like being a lawyer. I don't like being a doctor. And I've seen some people switch from being an engineer to being a doctor. And then after they were a doctor, they still didn't like it. So what brings satisfaction? I know. It's finding the right spouse. That's it. If only I could find the right person to marry. I know Jose's thinking about this right now. 
satisfaction for my life. Oh, I'll be so happy. You know, but we all know marriage has its ups and it has its downs. And sometimes it has more downs than it has ups. And so even if you have a great marriage, the Bible says, you know, that you have to work at that. It doesn't always, uh, you know, it doesn't always work out. In fact, people, they have statistics that 50% of marriages end in divorce. And the 50% that don't end in divorce, only 10% of those people seem satisfied. So, cross that one out. But I know, it's having a child. You know, if, if I could just have a child, I would be truly satisfied. You know, I have three children, six grandchildren. I love them. They are a tremendous blessing. But they're also a tremendous difficulty. At times... We're honest about it. So that doesn't bring full satisfaction. And now I'm watching my three children, and they're raising children. And then I look at them, and I said, how did I do that back then? It takes an enormous amount of time. But I know the real key is this, when I retire. When I retire, I will be totally satisfied. Because I'll do whatever I want, go wherever I want to go, I'll have, you know, hopefully I'll build that nest egg and I'll just, you know. And then you talk to people that are retired. So I've been more busy than when I used to work. Or, you know, they're, they're struggling with some illness and everybody gets together and they talk about, I got to go to this doctor, I got to go to that doctor. When is life satisfying? Well, I'll tell you, I think there's a guy in the Bible who had it all. He had money, he had position, he had career, he had a family, he had a wife. He not only had one wife, he had many wives. But there was one thing that truly satisfied him. And the only thing that satisfied him was God. And he writes about it in Psalm 63. You know, if, if you look at Psalm 63... And what we're going to be looking at today, Psalm 63, happens to be a psalm of David, King David. It's also a time in his life, it's probably one of the lowest times in his life. What would seem to be the most dissatisfying, discontent time in his life. Okay, it's 45 years after he killed Goliath and killed the lion and the bear. It's 45 years later. He's lived 45 years after that incident. It's 20 years after he fell and committed sin with Bathsheba. And you know that God brought him through that and he wrote some of those psalms where he really repented and God had forgiven him and he knew that. It's 20 years later. He's now in his 60s. And what happens? The very worst thing, one of the worst things that could possibly happen. His son, Absalom, has turned against him and is trying to usurp his kingdom and actually kill him. One of his own family members is trying to kill him. And so he's running in the desert, afraid of what's going to happen to him, or seemingly what's afraid, afraid of what's going to happen to him. But yet in this moment of his life, he is pursuing after God. And I want to suggest to you 
that David, during this time in his life, in the most difficult time of his life, makes a decision. And it's not that he hasn't had experience with God before. He's had many experiences with God. <laughs> Almost all the books of Psalm, the whole book of Psalm is all David's experience with God, how God speaks to him, how God is with him. But he makes a decision at that moment in his life when it is at the lowest point, I think, in his life. He makes a decision and says, I'm going to pursue God even in this. I'm going to pursue God even in this, to, into a, that's deeper than I've ever gone with God before. And I think that's why David is an example of somebody who was satisfied and content in his life because of his relationship with God. So as we look at this psalm, and we can see many different psalms uh, that are in the Bible that talk about this. You know, since our since we've been talking about 20 days of drawing near to God, you know, some of the things that we've been discovering is that God wants us to draw near to him in such a way that we're just humble before him. That we say, God, I don't know what you want for my life, but I want you to be the one that is in control of my life. And we, you know, we talked about that a couple weeks ago. And, uh, but this whole idea of coming to know God and pursuing God is something that is throughout the scripture. And a lot of times we don't experience that because we think that we've already experienced enough of God to make it through our life. And that is so, so far from the truth. Because even as David has had all these experiences with God, he's still not satisfied with more of God. He's, there's still more to know of him. There's still more for God to do in his life, and he knows that. And so he's going after God. A.W. Tozer was probably one of the most prolific prophets of the, 21st century, or the 20th century, and he said this, Complacency is a deadly foe of all spiritual growth. Acute desire must be present or there will be no manifestation of Christ to his people. He waits to be wanted. God waits to be wanted by you and I. Too bad that with many of us, he waits so long, so very long in vain. And then he says this, to, find, to have found God and still pursue him to have found God, to know that you're his child, but then to continue to pursue him is the soul's paradox of love. There's something in us when we get close to God that we want to get closer to him. It's not I get baptized and then I go and live my life the way that I want to live it. No. It's this pursuit of God that, that he is calling us to. In fact, Tozer's book was called The Pursuit of God. Psalm 42, 1 and 2 says, As the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. It is a picture of a deer probably running from a hunter, but stops at a stream and is, is just needs to gain more nourishment to keep on going. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go to meet with God? 
And so David had this beautiful relationship where he was always looking for places to meet with God. And we know that David just didn't meet God in the sanctuary, but he met God wherever he was. He met God when he was in the field taking care of his sheep. He met God at work. That's, that's at work. He was meeting with God at work. He was meeting with God with his family. He was meeting with God with his friends, Jonathan. Wherever David was, he had this quest to meet with God. And so Psalm 63, 1 and 2 simply says this, O oh God, you're my God, I'll seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh yearns for you in a dry and a weary land where there is no water. So David is going into the desert because that's the safest place to be away from his son Absalom. But while he's going there, he is seeking after God. And see, that's, that's something that's very different than what I often do. When I have difficulties or problems, sometimes what I'll do is I'll try to fix them myself. Or I'll misinterpret what God is doing. And so what God wants me to do is he wants me to draw closer to him. Even in the dry and the weary times, he wants me to pursue him. I know for many, many people, when I ask this question, when, you, when, when I hear, when I, when, I, when I listen to people, we, we always talk about this in our society because we are so busy that we, can't, we don't have time to pursue after God. There's no time to spend with him. And you would think David, at this moment in his life, he doesn't have any time to spend with God because he's on the run. But that's exactly the opposite of what he writes here. He said, I have to. My soul is empty. And so I have to go to God to be filled. I'm thirsting for God. My flesh. See, David, when he got away from God, he understood he was away from God. When he was drifting away from God, it became clear to him there was something missing. And that made the difference in his life because he was, he, I would think he would become dissatisfied with life. The most dangerous thing is when we drift from God and we're not dissatisfied or we don't recognize something's missing, that's a dangerous place to be. That's a dangerous place to be. And so David had this relationship with God. Psalm 27 verse 8 says, uh, says this. Psalm 27 verse 8 says, My heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. This is in the New Living Translation. And my heart responds, Lord, I'm coming. Isn't that a beautiful verse? My heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I'm coming. Or in most traditional translations says, uh, my heart says, seek your face, Lord. Your face I'm going to seek. You know, last week I talked about caricatures that we have in our minds of God. That we see him as somebody that's unapproachable. David didn't have that. He didn't have that picture of God. He had a picture of God of saying, David, come. Spend some time with me. 
We need to talk. Because God understood what David was going through and what he needed, and God understands what you're going through and what you need. And he's calling out to you to come to him and be in his presence. And it may take some time for him to speak to you. And if you say, I don't have the time, then you're never going to find satisfaction in your life. You won't be satisfied. You won't be content. Because true contentment and satisfaction comes in knowing and pursuing God and finding Him in the situation in your life and in the situation that you're in. And that's what David did. You know, when we, this whole idea of pursuing, you know, you think about it. Pursuing God, what does that mean? What does that actually mean? And the only analogy I could take would think about that, that, that rang true to me is when I was first dating my wife, I was pursuing her. Okay, what did that mean? That means I made time. I had the same 24 hours in my day, but when I met her, things got rearranged in my life. And what I mean by that is I tried to find time. I made up things to find time to spend with Lori. Like I'd say, hey, do you want, I could teach you how to drive a stick shift. Uh, I don't know if she wanted to learn how to drive a stick shift, but I said, I could teach you how to do that. And so we'd, uh, I'd take, I'd give her a driving lesson. And then I'd, then I'd say, hey, you know, there's a Bible study. Do you want to go with me? And we'd go to a different Bible study that was somewhere else. You know, we'd, we'd do things so I could spend time with her. I was pursuing a relationship with her. What happens in our relationship with God? The highest pursuit of our life, the greatest pursuit. Do we spend that time? Do we make the time for God? See, David cultivated this relationship with God. And he says this, I've seen you in the sanctuary and I beheld your power and your glory. So David is going through this difficult time. So then he looks back and he says, but I remember, God, that I beheld you in the sanctuary. I had this experience with you. So I know that you are true. I know that you are real. And I want to continue to deepen that relationship. And he recalls maybe being in, maybe being in a time of worship with God when God was so real to him and so powerful in his life. That's why I think times of worship are so important. That's why I don't think it's just a warm-up to the message. Sometimes worship, being in worship, is the most powerful time of a church service. It's not just a filler for space. It's not a singspiration. In fact, I don't even like that name, Sanctuary, because it's really a time of, it's not singing about God, it's singing to God. And God manifesting his presence in such a way that you receive from him something. And if you miss that, you could be missing a time of being in the presence of God. Because a lot of times God speaks to us through music. And he'll use the music and the worship 
to stir our soul and open up an area of our lives that he wants to speak to. And I know many of you have experienced that. I've seen you in the sanctuary. I've beheld your glory. So David is praising God and he goes on to say, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I'll praise you as long as I live and in your name I'll lift up my hands. So David is not in the sanctuary here. He's in a desert. David is not in church when he's writing this. He is in a desert. He is hiding probably in a cave. He doesn't have his palace around him. He doesn't have, he may have a few soldiers with him that have followed him. But basically, the, the scene is that David has been kicked out of his kingdom. And while he's walking out, people are throwing stones at him. The people that don't really like him, never liked him as the king. Because King Saul's relatives, the king that he took over for, they still hate him. And so when David is actually leaving the kingdom, they're throwing stones at him, the Bible says, and they're cursing him. And the soldiers say, hey, should I get that guy, Shimei? Should I, should I kill him? He goes, no, don't, don't even bother. Because I don't know what's happening. This could all be part of God's plan. I'm trusting God. I don't know what happens to you when people offend you, when people come against you even on the job or at school, or you feel mistreated, what do you do? Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. Lord, I'm going to turn to you in this incident, instance. You know what happens? David should have been humiliated, David should have, uh, you know, he lost his job. He should, uh, he's, he's been dishonored. He's been disrespected. Uh, his son has actually taken 10 of his concubines and uh, on top of the roof in public view, he's made sport of them. I'll, I'll leave that to your imagination what that means. But David is totally humiliated and as he's coming out of his kingdom, he begins to then still turn to God. If I was David, I'd be kicking the bull brushes, pulling out the rest of my hair. I'd say, what are you, what's going on here, God? I thought I was your chosen person. I'd be having a fit. But not David. I'd be full of shame. I'd be, I'd be so ashamed of what happened, but not David. David turns to God during this time. There's an interesting book called Shame Interrupted, and it says this, when we're in the middle of a shame storm, it feels virtually impossible to turn again to see the face of someone we might otherwise feel safe with. Meaning that David could have been feeling shame, and that could have actually pushed him away from the presence of God. But it doesn't. It could have pushed him away from other people, but it doesn't. 
It's as if our only refuge is in our isolation. David could have just ended his life. That is what many kings at that day and age did. They committed suicide. Saul fell on his sword. The king before him killed himself. When things turned, turned ugly. The prospect of exposing what we feel activates the anticipation for further shame. Shame can lead us to further shame, can lead us to further shame, further lies that say, you're not worth, it's not worth living. And there's many people today. We have the highest suicide rate right now that we've ever had in the history of our country. Why? Because people feel isolated, ashamed, and don't feel like it's worth living. But if you're a believer, if your life is a pursuit after God, it doesn't have to be that way. You know, we never grow closer to God. This is what Francis Chan said. We never grow closer to God when we just live life. It takes deliberate pursuit and attentiveness. He has, has your relationship with God changed the way you live your life. Francis Chan, Crazy Love. I know some of you have read that book. But the idea is, I love the title, Crazy Love. Do you know when I first was dating Lori, I did some crazy things. I had never done them before. I wrote her letters and I put pictures on them. I, I, I actually drew things to kind of illustrate what I was feeling. I didn't do that with anybody else. I would never do that. I even was willing to dance with her. I'm not a dancer, but I'll dance with her. But, you know, so we do things that are outside of our comfort zone so that we could pursue and be with the people that we really love. And David did that. David pursued after God. And that's what you see all through his life. He pushed past his own feelings of shame or feelings of inadequacy and he pushed forward to get to know the God who really loved him that could really bring satisfaction into his life. And he just went after God. You know, there's a probably one of the greatest uh, men that has ever lived in our century, probably one of the greatest Christians that ever has lived in our century, is Billy Graham. He's 99 years old now. And uh, we're going to show a video clip of him explaining what are the three things that we need in our pursuit of God. And I, I just thought it was his 99th birthday. I think it was November 7th was his 99th birthday. And so Billy Graham, they put out uh, a, a message about this. The last time he was in our area was in 2005. How many people went to see Billy Graham in 2005 in Flushing Meadow Park? Yeah, some of you went. Some of you weren't born yet? No. Some of you were very little, couldn't go. Okay, so you may not know Billy Graham, but uh, we're gonna show, show the clip here. November 7th is my father's 99th birthday. He's entered his 100th year. Uh, what an amazing journey. Billy Graham has always been a man of milestones and he's really reached a new one this 99th birthday. Most people say he's America's pastor, but that so understates it. If you 
interview people and who do you most admire in the world of, of everybody, whoever. You know, Billy's always at the top. How he persevered over a long period of time, I think that's impacted me the most. He was intentional about his life. He was intentional about his calling. He never veered off from being evangelist. A model of spiritual proclamation and of spiritual integrity. He was used to being with presidents, but he would be just as kind to somebody that was serving him lunch. There was a kindness about him and a gentleness about him and a welcoming spirit about him, which is reflective of the gospel. He answered the questions, but it always came back to Christ is your savior, Christ loves you, Christ is with me. Humility, integrity, and generosity. Billy Graham showed all three. I think Dr. Graham's birthday should be a, a time for us to reflect. For many years, I've had the privilege of being Mr. Graham's close friend and personal pastor. And so one can imagine the wonderful conversations that we've had together over these years. It's been such a joy to be blessed by him and to learn from him and to hear the things that God has placed in his heart. I've been praying that we might have a spiritual awakening, but I think that becomes possible only as individuals surrender their lives afresh and anew to Christ and live the Christian life wherever you are. First, we do everything we can to follow in the steps of Jesus. We're to live a life in which we love one another, we help one another, we live according to what Jesus lived. The Holy Spirit is the one that helps us live that new lifestyle, which is one of love, gentleness, and patience, and all of these things that are the fruit of the Spirit. We must remember that we communicate the gospel by our lives as well as our lips. We live before a watching world, a world that is waiting to see if what we say is lived out in our lives. We must be living in the power of the Spirit. We must be men and women who are pure vessels for God's message. Secondly, you read His Word every day, the Bible. I know it's very difficult, but you need to start somewhere and I'd suggest you start with the Gospel of Luke in the New Testament. And in the Old Testament, start with the very first verse, in the beginning, God. And study those passages. Make the Bible your source and your authority. Quote it frequently. Let its message be your message. Study it, meditate upon it, memorize it, trust its promises, the Word of God itself has power. Then the third thing, go to your knees and pray until you and God have become intimate friends. I cannot describe to you the joy 
and the peace that he gives to you as a result of that daily routine that you have in prayer. Is there a lack of power in your life? Perhaps you have neglected the preparation of your life. We've neglected prayer. We've neglected God's Word and the feeding of our own souls. Whatever it is, confess it, forsake it, repent of it, and then walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and gain victory over it. And may God today lift our vision and may the power of the gospel break upon our world with fresh force as we are obedient to Christ's call to repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. Hallelujah. There's three things that Billy Graham said that were so important. One of them was to do everything we can to follow in the steps of Jesus and live a life of love through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he was very emphatic about if we are going to have this relationship with God, we've got to be connected to God. And we have to be continually in a pursuit of knowing God and understanding who he is and what he wants us to do. Read his word every day, meditate on it, trust it. He was saying, like, we got to feed our souls because our souls get drained. We get dried up. And just like David fed his soul, we have to feed our soul. The third thing, we got to go on our knees and pray until God and us become intimate friends. There is a place of intimacy with God that we have yet to discover in our lives. There's a deeper intimacy. There's a greater calling in our lives to discover God's presence and his power in our lives than we ever have before. And this is a pursuit that we make. It's a process. It doesn't happen in one church service. It doesn't happen, but it's a continual process of where we're getting to know God and drawing closer to him. This is what David said. I'll be fully satisfied as with riches of food, with singing lips on my mouth, I'll praise you. On my bed, I'll remember you. I'll think of you through the watches of the night. David had this idea that sometimes he would wake up in the middle of the night and spend time with God. I know when I wake up in the middle of the night, I'm like saying, what, what am I doing up here? But sometimes... When I'm sensitive to the Holy Spirit, there's many times that God wakes me up in the middle of the night. It's because he wants to tell me something. So I get out of bed and I, and I just go into the, and I, and I talk with God. Then I go back to sleep. But there's sometimes, in the, you know, some people have done different things, even this, these 21 days to connect with God even more. Some have done a media fast. Some have fasted from food. Some are just saying, I'm going to start to read my Bible on a, in a daily basis, or I'm going to read this devotion. I'm going to get closer to God. And what happens? God has access into our lives, and then he begins to do things. We begin to sense his presence even more. And that's when we delight in the riches of fair. David isn't talking about physical food here. He's talking about spiritual food that nourishes our soul. That's why the theme of our church is even, Lord, make me an instrument, holy and useful, for your purposes. 
This is what 1 Timothy 2, uh, uh, 21 and 22 says, 2 Timothy 2, 21 and 22. Run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Instead, pursue righteousness, living, faithfulness, uh, righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. Seeking and pursuing God benefits our life. Intentionally praising Him, spending time with Him, has a way of opening up our lives to understanding Him and seeing Him in our daily lives, in our work, in our places of school, wherever we're going through. And I want to tell you, it comes down to a decision of doing that. This is what David understood. He says, because you're my help, I'll sing in the shadow of your wings. Because I know God, I know in my mind that you are my helper. You're my refuge. You're the one that I can trust in. Because of that, I'm going to sing under the shadow of your wings. I'm going to come to a place of your presence. And it's a picture of, you know, maybe a, uh, you know, a mother hen gathering her chicks. And he's just saying, I'm going to come into your, I'm going to come under your authority, under your presence. And I'll cling to you. And your right hand will uphold me. I do a little game with my granddaughter. Uh, and it's called, I'm calling it koala bear. And what she does is when I see her, she runs up to me and she puts her arms around me. She gives me this big hug and she wraps her uh, legs around me and then she hangs on to me and she goes, Grandpa, I'm your koala bear. And I said, okay, I'll be your eucalyptus tree. And so, uh, so then I'll say, how long can you hold on to me? And so she'll hold on to me, and it's about 10 seconds, and then pretty soon she goes, I'm falling! And then I put my arms underneath her, and I carry her, right? And then she's safe. Do you know the Bible says that God is our refuge, and, and under us are his everlasting arms. And so, but David has this picture of, God, I'm going to cling to you, and then your right hand is going to uphold me. So David has this picture of, of coming close to God and then God responding to him and uplifting him. And that's how he lived his life. And that's how the Bible says we should live our life. And when we don't do that, when we go on our own way, we get consumed with our own problems. This is what Francis Chan says. When I'm consumed by my problems, stressed out about my life, my family, my job, I actually convey the belief that I think the circumstances are more important than God's command to always rejoice. See, David had this relationship with not only does he cling to God, but then he rejoices under the shadow of his wing. There's this sense of God's presence there with him. So what are the action steps today that you need to take, that both of us, you and I, need to take? Will you determine to make God the greatest pursuit of your life? That's a decision. That's a decision. That's a decision we all make. We all make time to pursue the things that we love. Will we make time for God to spend with Him until He becomes our all in all, until we break through into His presence? 
You know, if you begin to start this and you said, okay, I'm going to read my Bible more. I'm going to spend some time with God in worship privately. I'm going to just spend time even in silence and solitude just to be with God. There might be a time when you feel nothing changes. And a lot of times people begin like that and they say, oh, it doesn't work. I guess it doesn't work for me. I'm not going to, to do this anymore. Or I have no motivation to do it because when I tried to do it, nothing happened. And what I want to tell you is this is a process that goes on in your life. And when breakthrough happens and you know God has met you, it makes all the difference in your life. Because then you understand like David understood, I'm clinging to you, your right hand is upholding me. There is a relationship now with a God who is a good, good father. And now my caricatures of who I thought God was like are changed. But it only comes in God's presence. It just can't come out of a book or just in your mind only. There has to be a spiritual experience and a connection between you and God. And see, this is the deeper life. This is the deeper faith. The, uh, the, you know, the Alliance used to call it the deeper life of depending upon the Holy Spirit and having a deeper relationship with God. You'll begin to surrender to his calling anew to him and his calling in your life. What is the calling that God has for? A calling that God has is come to me. <laughs> That's the calling. It's to pursue him. And then he'll show you what to do. You cultivate this relationship with him in every season of your life. See, David learned in every season and then he found satisfaction in who God was in his life. So I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to pursue and go after God. Uh, you know, and, and this can be probably the greatest pursuit, the most interesting thing that you could ever do with your life is to spend time in God's presence and break through and get to know who God is. You don't have to have a seminary degree. You don't have to have been in church for 20 years before this happens. Uh, God understands you, he knows you, and he wants to have this deeper relationship with you and I. And so, that, so we just need to pursue him. And it, it's really that simple, but it's also that difficult because a lot of times we get mixed up in our minds. It, it seems too confusing to us. But I, I encourage you to go after God, to, to seek him, to draw near to him. Let's pray. Father, we come before you right now in the name of Jesus. And Father, I pray that you would uh, draw us and may we answer your calling. When you say, come, meet with me, may we come and meet with you. When you say, uh, Lord, to seek your face, Lord, may we understand and know you and who you really are. So, Father, we, we just surrender our lives to you. We surrender our lives afresh to you. We ask you to speak to us now in Jesus' name.